Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. Christians have, should have singleness of heart and of focus. Why? The seeking, striving, searching for a Christian has come to an end. He has found the key to salvation. It is Jesus Christ alone. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. Today we will listen to a recent message from Louis Voyer as he encourages us to keep our eyes focused on Christ and to spend time with Him. Great advice for today's day and age. We hope this message encourages you today and helps you evaluate what you have been focusing on. You know, it doesn't seem right to have been away for so long from my dear brothers and sisters at Turner Road Bible Chapel. I cannot imagine that when I was last here that it would be two years since I would be able to come back. Someone said this morning, it encouraged my heart, and if you didn't say it, That's fine. But someone said they missed me. Well, that's, that touched my heart. And I've missed all of you. But there are some that are not here this morning. And I miss them greatly. If you see them or talking to them, Would you be so kind to pass on my loving greetings to them in the lovely name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? It doesn't seem the same to visit Turner Road and not see Ron Hesman. That's not normal. Helen Palmer. Anna. Anna who? Ostropolic. There are some pounds that I'm wearing that uh, are probably due to Mrs. Ostropolic feeding through the years. Would you please be so kind to greet her also on my behalf? I wanted just to make one announcement, if I may. Uh, During the pandemic time, the Lord impressed upon my heart to write my travel memoirs, my travel stories. I know that some of you uh, have had opportunity to read these, and uh, they were written not in an autobiographical way. They're just short stories that a 15-year-old can read and be encouraged. It is not heavy theology. It is only the accounts of God's wonderful works as we share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I would mention, I brought three copies. There are more in the car if somebody, if there are others that would want them. I do warn you 
They are 246 pages long. And uh, I warn you, because if you have a sore back, if you're carrying these around the house, you might need some back pain medication. Um, but uh, they are typed on both sides, so there's only 123 pages in total. And they are available uh, free of charge uh, here. I will be at the back, and if you go by me and do not wish one, I will have a very sheepish look on my face. <laughs> and uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege, gathering in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today we wish not to hear the voice of a man, but to hear the clear words of thy Son. We wish to sit at his feet and to have the Holy Spirit apply his word to our hearts. We can say, as the psalmist could say, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. Think upon us, Lord Jesus. We are poor, we are needy this morning. We need thy encouragement. And uh, so, Father, we pray that you would bless this time together today for Jesus' sake. Amen. I am now 69 years of age. Now, some of you should have said, you don't look it, since none of you have said it. Well, not to say that I'm a bit offended. I'm now 69 years of age. I've known the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal savior for 47 years now. I received the Lord Jesus to repenting of my sin and trusting in him at age 22 in 1974 in Hamilton, Ontario. In my entire lifetime, I cannot recall a period in which there has been so much turmoil in the world at large. One word comes to mind to describe what is occurring at the present time, and that word is unprecedented. Calamities follow each other with such regularity that we can hardly keep up with them all. Television broadcasters are hard-pressed to cover all the disasters that are occurring across the world. Earthquakes in Haiti, turmoil in Afghanistan, a Delta variant which infected over 200,000 children in the United States of America just last week. Once in a century fires in Greece and Turkey and even threatening 
Lake Tahoe area on the border of Nevada and California. Floods in the desert of Arizona. We've all seen the devastation in New York State, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. You know the times are unusual when even politicians are left speechless. This was the case several weeks ago when the German chancellor commented on the floods in the western part of her country. And she said this, she said, the German language, she said, the German language does not have any words to describe this destruction. Her observation made me wonder, are there any words in our language that can summarize what we are seeing unfold in world history at the present time? Any words to describe? Let me begin with the world at large where so many people have not a thought of God, who live as though they will never have to give an account to God for the life that he has given them? Is there a word in our language that can describe the calamity of these days for them? One word comes to mind. Humbling. The psalmist could say in the ninth psalm, in the 20th verse, he said this, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. I repeat that since I put you to sleep already. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men humbly. But I would have you note the word which I did not use, a word that is quite similar to humbling, but is altogether different. What word would that be, Louis? Humboldt. Yes, the times are humbling indeed for the man outside of Christ. But has it humbled him? Unto repentance? Unto salvation? I read not that long ago words by a missionary, long-time missionary on the continent of Europe. His words were not very encouraging if they're pervasive worldwide. He said this, he said, the days in which we live, he said, as tumultuous as they are, he said, sadly, in our country, in the country of Spain, he said, it has not caused people to seek the law. 
He said, yes, there are some exceptions. There are people in our country that are, that are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul. But he said, but the general public seem to be spiritually hardened still. They do not interpret all these circumstances, this unprecedented time as a warning from God, as a call to repent. Is that not a description? Is it not descriptive of Canadians as well? Yes, these have been humbling days for our nation, but have many Canadians been humbled to the point of crying out to God? To be saved? I think I have to be careful. We do not know the work that God is doing in the hearts of many people. But I would hardly think that many have been humbled as a result of the tumultuous days that we are presently living in. That's the world at large. What about the body of Christ? What about those who who have humbled their hearts to admit their need for a savior. Is there a word that comes to mind to describe this unprecedented era? Those who confess the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior? Is there a word? I'm sure that you can think of many The word that I think of is disruptive. Even just the restrictions. It disrupted the the freedom of Christian believers to gather for worship. To fellowship in person with the Lord's people. Agreed? Well, three people agreed and all the rest disagreed, I guess. Has it not been disruptive to missionaries in returning to the field of labor where the Lord Jesus Christ has called them? Has it not been disruptive? But a further question remains, does it not? Yeah. How have Christians fared in this season of disruption? Has it been profitable? Has it been detrimental spiritually? Let's bring it closer to home, shall we? What about you and me? Have these days of disruption been spiritually profitable to us personally in our walk with the Lord? As interested as I am to know the answer to 
how have we fared? Or how are we faring? Oh, I'm interested in a different question altogether. What question is that, Louis? How will we fare? We believe in the imminent, soon promised return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if he, what if that is still some time away? Do we honestly think that the, that the world's going to get any better? As tumultuous as these days are, if his return is not soon, we believe it, it could take place today, yes, but if it is not soon, the days aren't going to get any easier. And so the question is, for you and for me, how will we fare? Is my faith, is your faith continually being built up to be victorious, true Jesus Christ, in the tumultuous days that are ahead? You say, well, the question is kind of hypothetical, Louis. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Sadly, I've heard of a few. Did you notice the word that I said? A few. Not all, not pervasive, but I've heard a few who have drifted away from the narrow path of obedience and commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ in these trying and unsettling days. I've seen a little, but enough to say this. If our Christian life consists only of Sunday morning church attendance, thank you for the water. When I spoke recently in the church, they knew that I had not been speaking for a while, and they were concerned how long my message was going to be because I'd been storing up. (laughs) I looked underneath, there were nine bottles of water. That's not very subtle, by the way. And then somebody said, Louis, perhaps they were hoping that you would drink some of that water, and at your age, you would have to go to the bathroom. And that would put an end to your message. I never thought there was such a strategy. One glass is fine. If your Christian life consists only of Sunday morning church attendance, If your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is not being nurtured, strengthened with daily meditation in the word of God and in prayer, then I'm afraid to say that your faith may not be able to withstand the more difficult days which could be looming ahead. This is serious stuff. We do not want to be, to make shipwreck of our faith, right? Right? Right. Thank you, at least. That's my concern this morning. 
And to me, it's personal. Our daughter, Janine Aimée Marie Voyen, celebrated her 38th, 38th birthday uh, this past Wednesday. She's been to Turner Road Bible Church. Many times we used to stay with Vic and Ann Kendall in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And we would spend Sunday as a family with many of you. And uh, we enjoyed that very much. At age 21, we saw our beloved daughter start to drift. The powerful current of this world, strong. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. When I'm saying, how will we fare? Some of us are doing, are doing this. Beware. These are trying days that are ahead if our Lord be not come, right? If there is one regret that I have in my life, amongst many, I guess, but my greatest regret was, was, was not doing enough to ensure that her faith would be strong enough to resist the powerful current of this world. And she's been drifting for 17 years. We should have seen that before it occurred. But when we did, when we saw her drifting away, in a way it seemed like it was too late. Listen, we continue to hope in his mercy. Right? Yes. Yes. When, the, when those on the road to Emmaus <laughs> said to the Lord Jesus, when they didn't recognize him, they said, we had hoped. My friends, we had hoped differently for our daughter. But by faith, my wife, Laura, and I, in reference to our daughter, we do not say we had hoped, we say we still hope in his mercy. So I've seen this firsthand. So when I ask the question, how will we fare? Is your faith strong enough? Can I ask you a question? You say, you ask too many questions. Tell me. Just just between me and you. You don't even have to answer it. Just answer it in your heart. What portion of God's word, what chapter, what book did you read this week? That's between you and me. If your Christian life is only listening and not digging, I say this carefully, take heed.
It is imperative that you and I know why we believe what we believe as Christians. Fighting the good fight of faith in the strength of the Lord with God's armor on may become more experiential than just theoretical in the days that are ahead. Do you know about that armor? Do you know what what Christ has provided for you? You need to put it on. Do you know that? Have you studied that? These are perilous days, perilous times. You say, Louis, are you going to get around to actually sharing a verse, uh, scripture? Yep. You say, Louis, that's why you never finish on time, is yet you, get, you never get started. Yeah. As I was thinking of some of these things, the Spirit of God brought me to the book of Hosea. If you can turn to that, it's right after Daniel. Okay? Just one verse of Scripture. When the Spirit brought this verse of Scripture across my path, I... I didn't see the, I didn't, I I almost didn't see it pertinent to the days in which we are living today as Christians. But upon closer reflection and study, it may be of some profit. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14, just one verse of scripture. God is speaking. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. You know, pictured in the book of Hosea, as you know, and I don't have time to give you all the background, it's the nation of Israel, which had fallen into idolatry and had forsaken their God. The unfaithfulness of the people of God, of the nation of Israel in those days was not only egregious, it was obvious. It was without constraint. It was out in the open for all the nations of the world to behold, sadly. But there is a departure from God, which is far less apparent. When I read a verse like that, some of us say, (laughs) I'm not in that verse. That, That doesn't have anything to do. There's a departure from God that is not as obvious. It's right here. Nobody knows about it, but God does. Why do you think that... uh, that the man after God's own heart asked God to search his heart. Do you know why? Because the heart is despicably wicked. And your heart could be telling you that you are fine. And you begin to think that what other people think of you is what God sees in you. There's a departure here in our hearts sometimes that nobody can discern, but God does. When Christians aim for success in this life rather than faithfulness before God, there's been a departure. 
when Christians are doctrinally sound, but, but sadly have left their first love. There's been a departure. When Christians trust in the abundance of their material wealth rather than in the provision of God, then there's been a departure. And if that is so, then I say, blessed be the disruption. Blessed be even a worldwide plague which awakens the believer to the plague of his own heart. Do you know that when Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed that God would reveal to his people the plague of their own heart? That's biblical, by the way. Why did he do that? He knew, Solomon knew, should have known it more so for himself, that nothing would keep the people of God leaning upon their God, praying unto God, than to know the plague of their own heart. And so I say, blessed be the disruption if it's revealed the true condition of our heart before God. These are encouraging words. You're all looking at me. You say, Louis, you don't sound very encouraging. Do you know what encourages me about that verse? It's God. Therefore, behold, I will. God is about to enter the picture to perform a wondrous work. God says emphatically, I will do this. I myself shall allure this one that has departed. I myself shall bring her into the wilderness. I myself shall speak comfortably to her. Are you not encouraged? What did you expect for me to come and to say what you need to do to? No, God himself does this work. I'm encouraged because... Nothing less but the power of God is altogether able, altogether sufficient to overcome the power of Satan and the world which had allured his people away from God in the first place. She had been allured away, and yet God says, I have something more powerful than Satan and the world, and I will allure back. One person said amen, and all of everybody else is saying maybe he's finished. That encourages me. This is not something we got to do, willpower. No, what we're talking about today is the power of God. And when God says, I will... It is done. God never resolves anything in vain. When God declares his purpose, we may rest assured that he will not turn aside from it. 
He's going to win her heart back. My friends, can I ask you? It's just, you see, you ask too many questions. Let me, let me start with a statement first, and then I'll ask you the question. I believe, at any rate. Unless God has won your heart, you're not ready to prevail in his strength during these turbulent days. Has he won your heart? I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. Yes, that's the most important thing of all. I grant you that. I agree with that. But but that's not what I'm asking. Has he won your heart? The Christian with a divided heart. The Christian with a half-hearted heart. Will not fare well in the turbulent days which are ahead. This dear brother in in the United States, when he gets out of bed in the morning, his one prayer is before his feet touch the floor and he starts along his day, his prayer, the prayer of his heart is, Lord, bring the cross of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, before me. If you want to be turned away from the powerful allurement of the world, then look at what the world did to Christ on the cross, right? How did the world treat Christ on the cross? Here was the Son of God. He had left the throne of heaven. He had come willingly to die in our place. He humbled himself. He gave himself to healing people, to instructing them. He went about doing good. So, so, so how did the world respond to that? It hated him. It persecuted him. It rejected him. It chose a murderer before him. It killed him. My friends, can I ask you, how, how can any one of us love the world when we know they did this to our Savior? The moment you meet Christ, you see the world for what it really is, your enemy. You see the world in all its trappings and its mindset as an enemy to your soul. Do you see the world as something tawdry? Something that's got the principle of death in it. When you view the cross, when that man gets up and he asks the Lord to bring the cross freshly before him every single day, what's the result of that? He he finds himself no longer alert to the world no longer living for the world, no longer boasting of the world. There's a powerful allurement in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord bring the cross before us. Yes, we came to know the Lord when we viewed the cross and 
but it is something that acts upon our heart every single day and draws us away from it. Not only does the cross show the true character of the world in opposition to Christ, it also shows us the faith that is awaiting the world. The world in all its glory are being weighed in the balance. Do you not see it? I'm sure you do. It's being weighed in the balance of our day, and everything is found to be wanting. That's the world. It has no hope. There's no stability to it. There's no certainty in it. And what's going to happen to the world? Its end will be the judgment. Everything will be burnt up. So why spend time gathering things in this world when it has no future? Let me ask you a question. How many people would have boarded the Titanic if two hours beforehand they would have known that it would sink? When you know that the world is going to sink, why put all your eggs in it? Is that not foolish? When you know it doesn't have any future? It's easy to say, but sometimes we don't act it. We believe it with our lips, but we don't live it. Blessed be the disruption of these days that lures us away through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where does he take her? Whence he lures her? The wilderness. He brings her over there. He, he brings her there. You say, I don't get it, Louis. It's, that doesn't sound very encouraging to be brought into the wilderness. You know, you know it's, it's, there's a wilderness that we go because of our disobedience. That's not this type of wilderness. But he takes her into the wilderness. And can I say, a wilderness with Christ ain't no wilderness. A wilderness with Christ is a well-watered garden. I don't like to go to a different text, but I have to today, because when I read this, none of you are going to believe it. Jeremiah chapter 2, just, just turn there, just for one verse, okay? You say, Louie, you have a hard enough time. Now you're going to start with another text? No, not very much. But eight bottles of water would have been nice. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espouses, when you went after me in the wilderness. He remembers that. He remembers your commitment to him. We may have forgotten, but he ever remembers. To what period of time does this look to? 
It refers to when she came out of Egypt and when she went into the desert, into a place that was not sown, when she turned her back on Egypt, on the world, and would not go back. I remember a man at his baptism. I don't have time to go through it all. And and, uh, he got baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. Sunday morning baptism, sunrise baptism, only an American can think of these things. He went into the water of the Atlantic Ocean with his wife. To be honest, they were baptized before they were baptized because there were waves on the ocean that morning. <laughs> Why, he never would have thought of that. But at any rate, and so he comes out of the water and uh, comes out of the water and he embraces me, which means I'm now soaking wet at uh, Sunday morning at uh, 6 o'clock. And he whispered in my ear, I burned my bridges. I knew what that meant. Turned his back on his former life. I wish I can tell that story at greater length. He brings her back to that place when she trusted in God to care for her in the land that was not sown, in the land that was not sown, a desert. She had to depend on him every single day. Blessed be the disruption of these days, if it has brought us once again. To be dependent on him for everything. He remembers those days, the days of your espousals. He brings her back there. Isn't it true that when people want to revive their their marriage vows, they sometimes go back to the very first, to the place where they first fell in love in the first place? Right? Right. One person. Stop asking questions, Louis. It's not a French crowd, evidently. Yeah. Yeah. He takes her to the wilderness to teach her about his holiness. Yeah. Remember, it was in the wilderness that Moses saw the burning bush and was told to take off his shoes for the ground where he stood was holy. Yeah. Has God brought us to the wilderness? In this time of disruption, this time of tumult, to where we can say, with all honesty, I hate the sins that make you mourn, Lord Jesus, and that drives you from my breast. Psalm 32 says, blessed is he whose whose transgressions are forgiven, right? Whose sin is covered. And then it says, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. What does that mean, there is no guile? What is the definition of the word guile? Guile means 
insincerity concerning sin. Blessed is the man who is sincere before God concerning his sin. Sincere before God, knowing about his holiness and how deeply sin grieves the heart of God. He brought Moses there to, to, to see the, 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 for 40 years the, the, the sin of depending upon himself and not waiting on God. 40 years. God is in no hurry. As God brought us through this time of disruption to remind us how aggravating to him is his sin in our lives as Christians. May we be like those that have no guile. We're sincere before God about our sin and need to forgive it. He takes her to the wilderness to remind her of her calling, that she is to be a separated one, that she is a called out one. We no longer belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of Christ, to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of God. The world has nothing more to do with us or we with it. We're still existing in it, yes, but we no longer belong to it. We're separated from it. Our citizenship is now in heaven. Can people discern that? I remember once going to a a conference and uh, the air conditioning was in the United States and the air conditioning was working overtime and for some reason they couldn't turn it off. And I was the only Canadian there and they found out I was from Canada. Oh no. You're from Canada, huh? Yes, yeah. You're used to this kind of cold, aren't you? Yes. And uh, I sat there with a short sleeve shirt pretending that uh, I shall not get goosebumps. The, <laughs> the, 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 the reputation of my country was at stake, you see. Some of you are not appreciating the sacrifice that I made. Can people tell what your citizenship is? The, what, the way you speak. A man in a restaurant takes me. He says, I want you to meet my wife. And he goes and brings me to his wife. He's sitting at a restaurant table in the United States. And he says, sweetheart, this guy's from Canada. Go ahead, say it. I don't really want to say it. No, no, sweetheart, he's going to say it. Now, now go ahead and say it to my wife. If you insist. How are things, eh? <laughs> I wanted to say, are you satisfied now? I had to talk like a Canadian. What do you talk about? It doesn't matter. You, it doesn't mean it's not a legalistic thing. You can talk about things. And, and, but do you, do you talk about, when you gather with people, what are you talking about? The, the things that are happening are Christ. <laughs> we need to spend more time 
in the Word of God than listening to CNN or Fox News or any other station. Did I make my point? If you spend more time doing that, then you'll talk about those things and not about him. He takes her to the wilderness where there are no distractions. Your singleness of heart. Right? There's no distractions in the desert. What a world of distractions we live in. He takes her to that place where (laughs) it's him. Blessed be the disruption if he's brought me back to him. To the point where we can say, I have but one passion. It is Christ and him alone. My dear brother and sister, is there anything beneath the sun that strives in your heart as a rival? A hymn writer can say, Lord, if there is, tear it away. Reign there alone. Govern every motion in my heart. Then shall my heart from earth be free when it has found its all in thee. Christians have, should have singleness of heart and of focus. Why? The seeking, striving, searching for a Christian has come to an end. He has found the key to salvation. It is Jesus Christ alone. The Christian should be the most single-minded person in the world. He has found it. You remember when, the, when the, the disciples, when they first met the Lord Jesus, they went away and they kept repeating that sentence over and over again. We have found him. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets spoke about. Our God brings his people into the wilderness, away from all the destructions, so that they may ask themselves one question, is it well with my soul? Is it well with your soul this morning? I know you love the Lord Jesus and have loved him for many years, but is it well with your soul this morning? Is there a single-hearted affection for the Savior? a singleness, a focus. You know, I've shared this before. It may actually even be in the stories. You say, Louis, that's why we're not, we don't really want to read this, because you've already shared in 30 years your stories over and over again more than once, so we don't need to read it a third or a fourth time. But singleness of focus, right? I'm heading this afternoon to Quebec or towards Quebec, not sure how far I'll get, and then uh, to minister the Word of God in assemblies in Quebec and in PEI, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. And when you get past Quebec City, there are no more bridges. 
you have to take a ferry to cross. And at one place, it's 25 miles across. And it takes you almost three hours to cross from the North Shore to the South, from the South to the North Shore. Are you following me? Uh, and uh, I remember on one occasion, I, I, boarded the, I boarded the ferry, and I saw an older woman and a younger woman board that ferry. And that older woman, I was impressed. She almost jogged to the front of the ferry so she could have an unobstructed view of the other side. The younger woman who was with her wasn't really mindful of what was on the other side. I didn't know anything about that older woman. I didn't know her name. I didn't know anything about her life, but I knew one thing. There was someone waiting for her on the other side whom she loved with all her heart. For almost three hours, her eyes never left the other side. And the younger woman was just distracted, and I thought to myself, we are all on this ship crossing over onto the other shore. This woman is ready to disembark. She didn't need an announcement 15 minutes before we got there. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be disembarking. She was ready to disembark before she even embarked. There are only two people in the story. The older woman who has one single focus and the other that was distracted. And during the journey, that older woman would do this. We're getting closer. And the other lady was, I can't see anything yet. Yeah. I, you know what, I got off the ship, but I found myself doing, looking for the person who was waiting for that older woman on the other shore. Yeah. And if I had seen that person, I would have rolled down my window and did something, well, some of you are not surprised. And I would have said, hey, you, do you have any idea how much she loves you and how much she was looking forward to seeing you? And the person would have said to me, stop screaming. Do you have any idea how much I love her? We, we long to see the Lord Jesus. It might be today. Do you have any idea how much he longs for you to be there to enjoy the fruit of his salvation on your behalf? takes her to the wilderness, have her all to herself, himself, not distracted. Remind her of the holiness of God. Remind her of her spousals and her first love. And then he speaks comfortably to her heart. Just, can I ask you a question? When you read the scriptures, does he speak comfortably to your heart? 
Sometimes when our lives are not right with God, we have a hard time opening them because it rebukes us. But even then, he never ceases to love us. He brings us to repentance, and therefore then he can speak comfortably to us. On her heart, that's what it really means. He spoke comfortably, not only to her heart, but on her heart. It's almost like he's applying salve to the heart. Uh, 10 after 12, he's saying, well, Louis, we thought that as you got older, you would get shorter. That is not about to happen anytime soon. But blessed be the disruption of these days if he allures us away from the vain things of this world, if he brings us to the wilderness to be reminded of who we are in him and there speak comfortably to us as his beloved, as his spouse. Well, let us pray. Father, we, we live in fateful days. And uh, Lord, we I know that my soul has been ready since February 1974 when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. But Father, it is the longing of my heart that when he returns, he would find me faithful. He would not find me drifting. He would not find me ashamed at the day of his coming. Lord, these are fateful days. These are not a days of superficial Christianity. These are not a days of, of divided hearts. Bind our hearts to thine, O God, through thy cross, the cross of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, there's a hymn writer that says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, Certainly we feel that many times. Bind us. Certainly. And if we've wandered, draw our hearts back. He won her back. The word divorce is not in the Lord's vocabulary. <laughs> but the word restoration is. Lord, it's, the word disruption is not the right word. It's not the right word if it doesn't lead to repentance, to restoration, and to revival. Lord, we know that the worst trial for a Christian is a trial that comes and goes and leaves us the same as what we were before. Lord, we don't want to be the same as we were 18, 19 months ago or whatever. We want to move ahead, to grow in the, in, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be more like him every day to be more concerned about those that are outside of him that need a savior, we ask 
In the lovely name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the TRBC Podcast. Turner Bible Chapel is located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. You can find us online at trbc.ca. We hope that this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ.